0: When my boys were little, I read to them uh, The Hobbit. Not Lord of the Rings, that was too long and too complex, but The Hobbit. Fun story. And uh, it starts out with with a guy named Bilbo Baggins. He was a good man, he was an underhill, he was from underhill stock. He never had any adventures, he never did any of those things that the bad family, the tooks, they, they occasionally went out from the shire. They, they ran away at times, but not, not the, the underhills, not the good guys. They stayed home, had no adventures, never left. And uh, one day, uh, this m- mysterious uh, wizard comes to visit Gandalf, and Gandalf uh, tells Bilbo that he is going to have some dwarves in his house soon, and these dwarves begin to show up, and, and they, they start telling their stories. And singing their songs. And Bilbo is very annoyed by them. He didn't want them there. But as he listens to those songs, uh, Tolkien says, Something Tookish woke up inside of him. And he wished to go and see the great mountains and hear the pine trees and hear the waterfalls and explore the caves and maybe wear a sword instead of a walking stick. Gandalf, you see, wasn't trying to recruit somebody who didn't belong. Gandalf knew Bilbo better than he knew himself and was calling him out on an adventure because he knew that that's precisely the kind of hobbit Bilbo was. We're going to study Jeremiah for the next four weeks. And Jeremiah came along at the worst possible time in Israel's history. The, uh, as you know, the, the nation of Israel split north and south, and, the, and nor- the northern nation, which took the name Israel in a lot of the Old Testament, had already been destroyed by the Assyrians and, and carted off. And uh, southern Israel, which took the name Judah, was all that remained. And now Judah uh, was that in its final days. The, uh, the king Manasseh had been terrible, He had uh, joined into a treaty with the Assyrians, and in order to keep the Assyrians from attacking him in that treaty, he promised, we will worship your gods. He put it in writing. And he introduced all kinds of false religion to Israel, uh, put... Uh, Asherah poles and just dis- disgusting Baal worship all over all over what remained of Judah and Israel and and he even used the temple of the Lord for this false worship and even went so far as to sacrifice children to the false god Molech. And uh, when he died his son Josiah took the throne at a very young age and God at that time, calls Jeremiah to himself and and tells him, I'm I'm going to put my word in your mouth. You're going to be my prophet. You're going to be the one who preaches uh, to Israel, preaches what to, to Judah, repentance. And Jeremiah said, I don't want to do it. Don't make me do it. And you know what? If you'd have been there, if you'd have been Jeremiah's buddy, you know what you would have said to God? Don't make him do it. This is awful. Don't you like him? And if if Jeremiah looked like he was about to do it, you would have screamed, don't do it, Jeremiah. You may have called him Jerry. Jerry, don't do it. It's not what you think. Nobody's going to like you. They're going to call you a traitor from day one. They're going to imprison you. They are going to threaten to kill you they are going to put you in the stocks and leave you in public to be humiliated all night long they're going to throw you into a well and leave you to drown and not drown in water Jerry. they're going to leave you to drown in mud and muck slowly sinking to your death don't do it and you know what God says to that he replied, What do you mean, don't do it? I made him for this. I know him better than you know him. Not only is he prepared for this, he was created, he was crafted for partic- this precise ministry. And that's what we're going to look at today, is just how the Lord prepared him for this precise ministry. But before you go to sleep, let me ask you this. Is there anything in your life right now you don't think you can do? Have you uttered the words in the last 12 months, I just don't think I can do this. I'm not sure I can make it. I want you to see that Just like God crafted Jeremiah for precisely the things that he called him to do, God has crafted you for the days that he has called you to walk through. And your faith, I'm not asking you to put faith in yourself. I'm not saying, you can do it! I'm asking you to put your faith in God. He is not going to call you to do anything that he's not going to prepare you to do. So please stand as we read from Jeremiah chapter 1 and see that God doesn't call us to do anything he doesn't prepare us to do. Hear the word of the Lord. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who was in Anathoth in the, days, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the sons of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations, and then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I'm calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They've made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Thus for the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. God doesn't call us to do anything that he doesn't gift and equip us to do. And the very first thing we see in this text is that, that Jeremiah was formed by God. And, and even he was known even before he was formed. Before I, before I formed you, before I formed you in the womb... I knew you. I, 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 before you were born, I, I set you apart. I, I consecrated you. I, I gave you this calling, and I, I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Before you were ever even conceived, Jeremiah, I set you apart to be a prophet, and I built you for that. I built you for it. Jeremiah had an awful calling and an awful time, and he knew it. But God says to him, I made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar with bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah. I've made you strong. I've prepared you for this. So so what's going on? Jeremiah is a young man. Uh, Josiah, who's about the same age, is on the throne. Josiah and Hezekiah were the two best kings in the history of, of Judah. They're the only kings that, you know, when you read through the book of Kings, you'll see over and over again this phrase, right? Uh, uh, Uriah was a good king. Uzziah. Uzziah was a good king, and he followed in the steps of David, except, right? there's always an except at the end. Well, Hezekiah and Josiah have no excepts. They were they the only two kings, including David, the only two kings who have just universal approval. God says, they were good. They did it right. And, and Josiah was one of the ones who did it right. And he came along right after Manasseh. He was Manasseh's son. And... Um, he was very young because one of the evil things that Manasseh had done was had all of his children killed. Uh, Josiah was kind of hidden and escaped, and uh, so he was very young when he came to the throne. And another thing that every king was supposed to do: every king was supposed to make their own special copy of the Book of Deuteronomy. But Manasseh had, had all those destroyed. But wouldn't you know, somebody saved one. And so when Josiah was on the throne. One of the priests brings him this copy of the book of Deuteronomy and reads it to him, and Jeremiah sees, the, sees clearly what's about to happen. And he tears his clothes, and he begins to repent, and he begins to lead his nations in repentance. And one of the things he does to lead his nation in repentance is he sends out prophets. Jeremiah was one of them. Prophets to go to every village, every community, and read these words of Deuteronomy and call people to Repentance. And Jeremiah didn't want to do that. He was scared. And God says, I've prepared you for this. I've made you strong. How do you think God prepared Jeremiah? Some of it was just genetics. You know, genetics matter. I'm sorry. Genetics matter. Uh, A friend of mine uh, named Doug, he was uh, shot put. He threw the shot put in high school. And he thought he had a real chance at the state championship. He was expecting to win the state championship. He practiced every day after school, practiced his form, got it just right. He was at the state championship. He threw it further than he had ever thrown it before. He was confident he was going to be the state champion. And while he's waiting there, and the, the you know still open, the contest is still going on, a huge guy named Fred Dean walked up. And the coach gave him the shot put, and he says, what do I do with it, coach? And he said, just throw it, put it, hold it like this and throw it as far as you can. And Fred Dean goes, whoa, like that? New state record that still hasn't been beaten. Coach says, yep, that's good, let's go. we got to go do the triple jump now. Uh, you know, genetics matter. Fred Dean went on to be a defensive end, win two Super Bowls for the San Francisco 49ers. Doug ended up being a chemical engineer. I mean, genetics matter. You do what you were designed to do. Jeremiah, God says, I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you like a a pillar of iron. What does that mean? You're going to be resilient. Over and over again, he would be disappointed. He would be rejected. He was put in the stocks in the middle of the city and humiliated for preaching the gospel. And when they came back the next morning to get him out, he was still preaching it. He was resilient. He was strong. And, and, but the beautiful thing about the way Jeremiah was made is, not only was he resilient and strong, he was empathetic. When, you, when I think of somebody being resilient and strong, I think of someone being mean. That's just how it seems to me, right? You hear this idea of this prophet who's telling everybody in the nation you're going to be destroyed. Repent. And Jeremiah didn't do it with a chip on his shoulder. He wasn't angry. This, listen to what he says in, uh, in chapter 8. The last verse of chapter 8. He says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Oh, that my head were water. And that my eyes were fountains of tears, that I may weep day and night for the slain daughter of my people. He had empathy. He loved them. He's saying before everyone, I wish I could cry enough. I wish my head were made out of water so I could cry, so I would have enough tears to cry for you. He's not speaking down to them. He's with them and he loves them. And, and the words that he speaks come out of concern for them. He's not... He doesn't get angry and begin to, to hope. He like put his... You know how we do sometimes. You just kind of hope somebody loses to prove that you were right. That's not in his heart. He's resilient. He's resilient. He's strong. And he's resilient and strong while being empathetic. And through it all, he's hopeful. It's really fascinating. One of the last things that Jeremiah did in his ministry was he bought a field. You know, his cousin wanted to sell it to him. His cousin's just trying to make a buck. Pretty smart idea, really. We're all about to be exiled. We're going to be taken in chains to Babylon. So I can't take the field, but I can take money. So you want to buy this field? And Jeremiah looks out on this field where the Babylonian soldiers were sleeping. He says, yeah, I'll buy it. How much you want? And everybody's kind of looking at him like, what are you? That's an army sleeping on that field. Not the army to protect you, the one that's coming in to destroy you. Why are you buying that field? And he, he buys it and he has all the right documents signed. He gets it notarized. He does it in public. And then he looks to his, his uh, friend Baruch and he says, Baruch, put this into an earthen vessel. Seal it up tight because we're coming back. And in 70 years when we get back, my kids live there. his hope wouldn't be taken away from him. He trusted the Lord and he was resilient and he was hopeful and he knew that they would be back. He was was just created that way. He was just made like that. Some people are just made like that. I try to surround myself with people who are made like that. He was genetically formed for his job. He wasn't just formed genetically. was formed by the Word. God says to him in verse 9, the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. One of the reasons why he was so resilient and so confident was that he wasn't talking about his own opinions. He wasn't kind of looking out at the flow of history going, looks kind of bad to me, guys. You know, he wasn't like trying to evaluate the stock markets and going, I think I think Babylon's going to win this one. His He was using God's word. He was putting all of his confidence there. This meant that he wasn't, he didn't go out to the people, you know, just saying this is what God might do. His message was, if God is faithful, that's a tough start, right? If God is faithful, we're about to be thrown off the land. If God does what he said he would do, he laid it out for us very clearly in the book of Deuteronomy. He says it from the Ten Commandments and all through the Bible. I visit the iniquity of the fathers to the second and the third generation. God is gracious. He is patient. He gives us generations to repent, generations to see our sin and turn from our sin, but don't confuse His graciousness and His patience for slackness. He's going to keep His word. And His word was, if you turn to other gods, I will throw you off the land. If God is faithful, if God keeps His promise, we're not going to be here long. That was his message. And you see the difference? His confidence wasn't in himself. His confidence was in God's word. The judgment was coming because he was faithful. God formed him for his his special task. He put his words in his special task for him, for his message. And then God tells him, not only be comforted by how I formed you, but be comforted by the fact that I've chosen you. I've set you apart. God came to him and said, you, you're special. I'm giving you this special task. You're my special agent. You're the one out from the others. You're different. I've got something only you can do. Do do you see where Jeremiah gets his confidence? His confidence wasn't in that he thought he was good enough to be a prophet. His confidence was in God. God set me apart to do this. I know God gave me this to do. Somebody who knows me. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He knows me, and he set me apart for this. It gives you a confidence to be chosen. I think. I haven't been chosen for a lot. When I was in, uh, when I was in junior high, I never got chosen. I was uh, as, as, as my friends got older and, and their bodies developed and they got more and more mature, the gap between me and them just got bigger and bigger. And until the point where one time we were picking teams to play football, and I was, we had an odd number, which is weird. And so I was the last one not picked. And then the two captains began to argue right in front of me about how if, we're, if one team has more players than the other, then there had to be kind of different rules made, you know, and we're going to, have to change the rules. And they each began to argue why I should be on the other team. And at that point, I had not just become a zero; I had become a negative number. The team that didn't have me had the advantage. That takes away your confidence. You don't just feel like you're going to go out and do something great for your team at that point. Uh, But Jeremiah is just the opposite. God says to him, "I've picked you. Put don't put your confidence in yourself." God believes I am the person for this job. He believes that about you too. He believes that you are the best mother for your children. You are the best father for your family. You are the person for this job. The world's constantly telling us that we're not able, that we're not strong enough, that we're not worthy enough, at least not without the products that they're trying to sell us. But God says, I know you. I've always known you. I've known you since before I formed you. And I've prepared you for this. Jeremiah was known. He was picked out. He was chosen by God. Maybe the reason why I love Presbyterian theology so much is uh, because it's the only thing that ever chose me. (laughs) Uh, you know for once I got picked to be on the winning team and I guess it's a good time as any to ask yourself is that you as well Jesus tells us you know that you are chosen by God because only the sheep hear his voice only his sheep hear his voice and follow him you don't have to ask yourself did God choose me you ask yourself am I following Jesus if you're following Jesus it's because you heard his voice he tells us the story of the, the wedding feast, and he says, Nobody came, nobody came to the feast. And so he sent out his his servants to compel people to come, literally make people come, and he responds that he ends that parable by saying, Many are called, but few are chosen. Who are the ones who are chosen? The ones who we made come. Have you responded to the invitation? Have you come to the party? Jeremiah was made for this, he was chosen for this, and finally he was equipped for this. He was equipped for this. God wouldn't take no for an answer because he knew how he had prepared him for this job. Jeremiah says, don't make me, I'm too young, I'm not able to do this. God says, yeah, you are. Um, Eugene Peterson talks about this. He says he once was at a lake and there there was a nest of swallows and the, the mother bird had decided it was time for the swallows to go. And so she starts pushing him out of the nest and onto a branch. And the first one is scared and takes off. And the second one is nervous, but the, the mother pushes him off the branch and she, he takes off. And he said, that, he said this. Now, you can ask him if it's true or not when you get to heaven. But this is what he said in his book. He said the third swallow wasn't having it and just held on to the branch. And the mother pushed it and literally pushed it to the point that he was hanging upside down. And the mother bird starts pecking at his feet. And finally he lets go and he plummets straight down to the lake and right before he gets to the lake he stretches out his wings and soars off. The mother bird saying, I know you better than you know you. You got wings and those wings will, will carry you if you'll trust me. God says to us, I'm not taking no for an answer. I know you too well and I love you too much. And I have equipped you for this. Now, the interesting thing is that as we read the Bible, as we read uh, Jeremiah's story, we see that the equipment comes not only in his resilience, not only in his hope, not only in his hurt, uh, in his heart. Those things were all wonderful, but they weren't enough to deliver him. What we find as we read these these stories of, of Jeremiah's life is that over and over again, God puts friends in Jeremiah's life who save him. Henry Adams says that one friend in a lifetime is much, two are many, and three are hardly possible. Three times Jeremiah was saved from death by friends. Uh, One rescued him when Jehoiakim, the king, had already killed the prophet Uriah. And we're told he once he planned on killing Jeremiah. uh, Jeremiah, And Jehoiakim, we don't know anything about him except this. He interceded for Jeremiah and saved his life. And later, we see Jeremiah teamed up with his friend named Baruch. Baruch, uh, you know, I think Jeremiah called him Barry. It's a Jerry and Barry show. And he was just faithful, and he was there, and he wrote down everything Jeremiah said. And at one point, Jeremiah is called before the king, Zedekiah, and he, and he, and he, he writes a prophecy and, and, Zedekiah and, and, and sends it to Zedekiah to read. And, and Zedekiah listens, and after every paragraph, he cuts that paragraph off, and he throws it in the fire. Can't you just imagine how Jeremiah felt about that? I, just, I can see this conversation going on in my head. And he's so down, and Baruch is there, and he says, what's wrong, Jerry? He just threw it in the fire. And Baruch says, well, you know I wrote more than one copy. Of course I made more than one copy. It's okay. Just that steady influence of of someone there beside him saying, it's it's okay. And then at the end of his life, when Jeremiah's life is, is... I don't know if it's the most threatened, but certainly the grossest. He's thrown down in a well that has no water left in it. It's nothing but mud and muck. And he's slowly sinking. He is slowly going to drown, you know, at, at a snail's pace. And this servant, an Ethiopian eunuch, goes to the king. Goes to the king and says, you can't do this. What you've done is wrong. And then he goes, and Zedekiah says, Okay, whatever, do whatever you want. And so the, he goes, um, and he gets ropes, and he gets cloths, rags to tie around the ropes, because he knows if he starts pulling Jeremiah out of that mud, the, the resistance is going to be so strong that the, the ropes will cut right through him. And he puts rags around him, and he yells down, Pad yourself. And he and his friends pull Jeremiah up out of the mud. Isn't that fascinating? Prophet of the Lord, dependent upon an Ethiopian eunuch servant to save his life. I hear that conversation in my head too. I can see it going in a bad way. I can just imagine that a, a Jeremiah being down there going, you know, servant's yelling down, I'm going to throw you a rope. Who are you? Well, I'm, I'm Abedmelech, the servant. I don't need no servant. I'm fine. I'm a prophet of God. I speak before kings and emperors. I don't need you. Of course not. I mean, you're sinking. You're already up in the waste of mud. You're going to take the help from anybody you can get it. And he gets in the ropes. But, but I mean, I, I see that a lot. I see that kind of attitude all the time when, when friends call out to other friends, can I help? I'm fine. I don't need anything. That attitude's not possible for a Christian, though. If you're a believer, you know that we break everything we touch. We know the fault is always likely ours. We are quick to forgive precisely because we know that we've been forgiven. Our lives are formed by continually receiving the help of God in Christ. Often through our friends. Eugene Peterson writes this, Jeremiah needed friends. He was well-developed in his interior life. It was impossible to deter him from the course by enmity or by flattering. He was used to solitude, but he needed friends. No one who is whole is self-sufficient. The whole life, the complete life, cannot be lived with haughty independence. Our goal cannot be to to not need anyone. One of the evidences of Jeremiah's wholeness was his capacity to receive friendship. Can you receive it? It's easy to give friendship. Giving friendship means, it looks to me like you need me. Or maybe it's it's easy to initiate a friendship with someone who's going to increase your standing or have something that you want. But can you receive it? Can you receive it? Has your life been formed by receiving the daily friendship of Christ who doesn't stand above the well and throw down harsh ropes, but jumps into the well with us and, and lifts us out of the mud and the muck, not as a one-time event, but as a daily practice? And do we receive God's grace, not just the grace and how he made me, all those awesome genes that he gave me. But the grace of the friends that he's put around me. Knowing that I cannot make it without them. Are you willing to receive that? You can't make it. Whenever I hear someone say, you know, I just can't do this. My response is, yeah, you can. And your first step is you're going to stop saying that. But that doesn't mean you can make it alone. You can't make it alone. Will you receive what God has provided for you? Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace that you have just overwhelmed us with. And sometimes, Lord, we stand before new days and we're afraid. We don't know. We don't know if the grace for yesterday will be enough for tomorrow. Father, I pray that you would train us to know that you've given us enough grace for today. And I pray that would be enough. I pray that we would believe you and put our faith in you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.